Today's Haftarah portion is from Isaiah chapter 40. I was asked, well, we are in the weeks of comfort. And this is the Haftarah of comfort. Am I going to say comforting words to you? Well, I think all of Scripture should be comforting to our spirits. So, yes, but not specifically. And it's always read on the first Shabbat following Tisha B'Av, which we talked a little bit about last week. Today is, you know, there's different names for different Shabbatot, Shabbats that are applied to a theme. This is one of them. This is Shabbat Nachamu, which literally means the Shabbat of consolation or comfort. And it gets his name from this first uh, verse of the Haftarah portion. And although we did not hear it in Hebrew, Sandy did read in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami, Bayomer, Elohechem. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And it actually expands on this week's Torah portion in many ways. The book of Devarim, which has been referred to as Mishneh Torah, which literally means, like we talked about last week, the repetition of the Torah. And uh, later on, Maimonides would use that premise to construct his work, which became a code for the Jewish law. But the second verse of Isaiah chapter 40 says, Speak kindly to the heart of Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her warfare has ended and her iniquity has been removed. For she has received from Adonai's hand double for all her sins. What that verse does, again, it's the Shabbat of comfort, Shabbat of consolation. What that does is it actually emphasizes God's love and that God's love will provide comfort to the nation of Israel. And at this time, if you read and you follow, you're following timeline, they were actually in Babylonian exile at the time. So they were not really in the mode of being thinking that anything about comfort or consolation because they've been exiled from the land. But Isaiah is assuring and reassuring Israel that if they remain faithful to God, as in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, like a shepherd, he tends his flock. He gathers the lambs in his arms, carries them in his bosom, and gently guides nursing ewes. It's an emphasis and a message that provides hope. A hope that God has not rejected the covenant that ties him to his people. The covenant he's made to Abraham. One of the most read books in Judaism, guesses anyone? Go ahead, speak out, speak out. The Siddur. These are just two examples of Siddurim that I own. One's a Messianic Siddur, one's a Reformed Siddur. But you know, we have a form of a Siddur every week in our order of service. We have two choices, actually. People come in and first thing they want to know is, we're doing one or two? That the, what, and that word, Siddur, 
it comes from the same root as the word Seder, which means order. It's really simple. So this is our Siddur of service. This is our order of service. In reading the prayers, and, and actually this would not really be considered a Siddur because the Siddur actually cover, contains all the prayers, not just for Shabbat, but for every day. And you see this one's blue. There is a red one that does, that's for specifically for the High Holy Days. The Maksor. Yes. It's very complicated, but very simple at the same time. Because, again, Siddur simply means order. There must be order, otherwise there's chaos. But you could say, or you could say control, see, because I'm from the man from uncle. There goes one. See, I have a man from uncle friend up there. But we don't want chaos. We don't really need Maxwell Smart either, but, but that's a whole nother story. And if you don't know, if you don't get that joke, go look it up on MeTV or, you know, TV Land or one of those and find Get Smart and watch a couple of episodes and you'll be right up there with us or right down there with us, whichever way you're looking at it. <laughs> but these prayers, as we recite them, they're, the way they're formed, they should be strengthening our relationship, not only to one another, but to God. When we recite them together in a congregational setting, we become as one, and we recite them the same time together. I've mentioned in the past that some of the same prayers that we recite on Shabbat are being recited in synagogues around the world. Some of them have already done it, and some are going to be doing it, depending on the time zone they're in, but we're in unison, we're in unity, we're gathered together as one as we say these prayers. So by reciting the prayers in a siddur, we combine our hearts, our minds, and our souls. And we combine the generations of theology, of belief, of practice, and of history. All the traditions are involved. But no prayer is more central to the daily liturgy than what? Oh, I got, a, I got everybody on that one, huh? The Shema. And that's found in this week's parasha in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. And it's the very essence of our faith and reminds us of the covenant we share with God and with one another. You may even recall that after Yeshua was challenged by the Sadducees in Mark chapter 12, in verse 28 it says, One of the Torah scholars came and heard them debating. Seeing that Yeshua had answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is first of all? What did Yeshua say? He said, the first is Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. So to this question to the scribe, Yeshua responded with the Shema. Something that described, something that all the leaders of that time and today recognize and understand and identify with. So every morning and even at midday and at night, 
when we lie down, when we rise up in the waters of the mikvah, at the end of a day at the, or on the deathbed, the words of the Shema are prayed in unity, affirming the uniqueness of our God. Because there is none like him, like we sang earlier. And they testify to this relationship, this covenantal relationship that exists between God and his people. The, the three paragraphs that make up the Shema in the Siddur, or the prayer book, are not consecutive verses in the Torah. And I've spoken about this before, but just as a review, they actually are a collection of three different selections from different books in the Torah. Um, which includes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4, um, 4 through 9, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 13 through 29, and Numbers chapter 15, verses 37 through 41. In this week's Torah portion, we read the first of those paragraphs. In our liturgy, we, retur- we refer to these verses as the Shema and the Vehafta. Again, it covers the entire text from chapter from verse 4 through verse 9 so it's not limited to just verse 4 which is part of what we recite all the every day more than once a day but oftentimes we do not recite the vehafta with it but in the context of the torah portion these words don't actually constitute a prayer they're a part of moses sermon or his speech to the people as he's coming back to them and reminding them of the ten statements, the ten words, the ten commandments, where it says, I am Adonai your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Which, of course, we read back in Exodus chapter 20. But in the book of Deuteronomy, and including this week's parasha, Moses commands the attention of the people, with those familiar words, Shema Israel, hear, O Israel. And you can find that in four different places within Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 1, verse, chapter 6, verse 4, chapter 9, verse 1, chapter 20, verse 3, and chapter 27, verse 9. You know, sometimes you go to a conference or even a concert, any gathering where there's people are just kind of talking and making noise, and one of the first things you hear from the platform would be something like this. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? Usually causing everybody to calm down. Of course, I like to use the infamous shh because that gets most people's attention pretty quickly. But that will usually cause people to calm down and be quiet because they want to hear what's coming next. In that same way, Moses is calling on the people to listen to what he is about to say. Because it's probably important. And I think at this point they figured out if Moses is getting up before us to speak, ah, it's probably important. We need to listen. But after he first gets their attention, Shema Yisrael, Hear, O Israel, he proceeds to deliver his speech. In this case, he summarizes the basic commandments that they are commanded to observe. 
He also tells the people that if they obey God's commandments, all will be well with them. But if not, disaster will come upon them. But then the question has been asked, what makes this line of the Shema so unique and so important that the rabbis placed it as a central component of Jewish worship? Why just that one brief phrase and not the entirety of the Shema? Within the words of what we know as the Shema, which is, again, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, and the Vehafta, which would be verses 5 through 9, which, by the way, they are not unique from one another, even though we refer to them as unique portions within our liturgy, the six verses that are contained there contain the most basic tenets of Jewish theology. And they're worth us reviewing this week since we're in this parasha. The first tenet, basic tenet of Jewish theology is that there is one God. See, we are monotheists, which means we belong, believe in one God, our God, the true and living God. But in the Torah, the final letters of both the first and last words of the Shema the Ayn in the word Shema, and the Dalit in the word Echad, if you'll notice on your bulletin, they are larger than the rest of the letters. I circled them nicely for you. A new new thing I learned how to do just for this teaching. But together, the Ayn and the Dalit make up the word Ed, which is the Hebrew word that means witness, which would suggest that the Shema is our testimony of the sovereignty of God. We are witnesses. So we should be feel the responsibility of being witnesses for God's oneness, of God's unity, of God's power by observing his commandments in our actions, even in our behavior towards one another. There's another reason this could be that these letters were made a little larger. It could be to avoid a little confusion that could come in by way of a false translation. A large ayin in the word Shema helps avoid confusion with an aleph, which would cause it to be read also Shema. But it means perhaps or maybe or possibly. The large Dalit helps avoid the confusion with a resh, which would be the R sound, which does look a lot like a Dalit if you look at the scroll. And that could be, that would make it read ehar, pronounced, with that pronunciation it would mean to cause the passage saying completely through it, instead of hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, it would be the Lord our God, Ooh. Misprint. Okay, let me back up and remember what I, what I was supposed to say. Typo here. So it's pronounced, it would be pronounced Shema and Ahar, which would mean another. 
So it would say this. Maybe, Israel, God is another. You see the difference? The definition, when you say our God is one or God is another. So that's another reason why those large letters are important on the scroll, so that they are not misunderstood. Matthew Henry wrote in his commentary of the Bible, and Matthew Henry was Welsh. So this is not, I'm, I'm not misspeaking. I'm saying it the way he said it. Happy those who have this one Lord for their God. It is better to have one fountain than a thousand cisterns. One all-sufficient God than a thousand is sufficient friends. Yes, very important that we have one God. One God to lead us, one God to direct us, one God to look to and worship. I don't care how many friends you have, if you don't have God, you don't have truth. You don't have belief. You don't have salvation. You don't have what we have as a believers in the Most High God. The second of the basic tenets of Jewish theology is that God is unique. Not that he's just one, but he's unique. The word achad is understood to mean one. In other words, there is only one God. There's not two. There's not three. There's no more than that. It's one. Adonai echad can also mean God alone, which means singular. There's no comparison. You know, Steve often talks about the big G God that we serve and the little G gods of the world. That's what it is. He is the one true and living God, alone, unique, incomparable. There can be no other God like God, and there never will be. The third tenet of Jewish theology is that the Jewish people have a special relationship with God. Just like a husband and wife are supposed to be wholly devoted to one another, we're supposed to be wholly devoted to God. Without Him, we're nothing. We need Him. Oftentimes we, we try to think that He needs us. No, we need Him a lot more than He needs us. And as the Ve'ahavta says, Bechol levavcha, bechol nafshecha, uvechol meldecha. With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Everything in our being should be devoted to God, connected to God, relying on God for our very sustenance. See, with all that we are, with all that we have, and with all that's within us, our hearts, our minds, our souls should be engaged with and for God. He should be number one. As a matter of fact, this relationship with us, no matter where we are or what we're doing, should continue. It should be always God first. And then down from there to our friends, our family, our neighbors. Rabbi Elliot Dorf once said, when you lie down or when you rise up is a merism, which is, it's a literary device where the Torah refers to two ends of a spectrum. 
But that's not all. It includes everything in between. It's all-inclusive. It's, it's another way of expressing completeness. Something like near and far, body and soul, life and death, for better or for worse, for richer or poorer, and sickness and health. The entire spectrum between those is involved. The words of our Torah, our relationship with God, and what we speak of, and how we live, and what we live, when we lie down, when we rise up, and every moment in between, another way of putting it is during every waking moment. Because obviously when you're asleep, you really have no control over what's happening. But from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep, all in between there should be devoted to God. Another basic tenet of Jewish theology is relationship with God brings with it obligations and duties. Oh no, we have to do something? Yeah. Well, we, aff- we affirm our commitment to the covenant that God made. We demonstrate our love of God through the fulfillment of his commandments and through the study of his Torah. That's how it is that we bind them as a sign on our hand and that they become frontless between our eyes and then we write them on the door frames of our house and on our gates. So when we finish our weekly reading, we recite another verse from this week's parsha. And that's Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 44. We also use the end of Numbers chapter 4, verse 37. When we lift up the scroll, we all, when we turn it around and show it to the congregation, what do we recite? Vezot HaTorah, Asher Sam Moshe, Lifnei B'nei Yisrael, Alpi Adonai B'yad Moshe. This is the Torah which Moses set before B'nei Yisrael according to the mouth of Adonai by Moses' hand. By reciting and saying Shema Israel, we remind and challenge ourselves to recognize with words of affirmation that there is one God, that God is unique, and that we do hold a special connection to God And not only that, his Torah and his mitzvot are fundamental characteristics of that relationship. I've spoken many times about relationship. We need to have a relationship with God. We need to be intimately related to God. Otherwise, we're not his. We can't divide ourselves up between other things and with God. That's why we don't worship things. That's why we don't make things the focus of our lives. But we focus on God, and we make him the purpose of our lives. And then there's verse 7, which says, Veshenatam levanecha. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. We could read these two words as... as the many ways we show fulfillment of our promise. The promise of God to us and our dedication and our devotion to God. And our, it would be our duty through those words to study 
his Torah and observe his mitzvot and not stop there but pass them on to the following generations, to our children and our children's children. But there's a greater message contained in that single verse that we know as the Shema. Because in those words, there's an equality that's very important and meaningful as everything else that we've talked about so far. The equality is that we become one with God. Not just that we look at Him, we worship Him, we know He's there, but relationship brings us face to face. Panim al panim. Yeah, I know, we, if we see God, we'll die, right? But I'm, not, I'm talking in a spiritual sense. We need to come face to face with God spiritually. We need to have that same mind with God to understand Him and to do what He wants us to do. See, every parent, I, don't th- I think I can say every, or I can say most, but I'm going to leave it at that. Every parent dreams of the legacy they'll leave behind for their children. And in many cases, their grandchildren. We want, we all want the best for our children. We pray that their lives will be full of meaning. And we pray that they will have a connection and they will have success and they will have growth based on what we teach them. How we teach them to relate to God. How we teach them to come close to God. And then they take, up, take that on themselves and they become related the way we are or we should be. You know, like everything else, there is a midrash on the Shema. And it demonstrates that point. It was a scene between a dying Jacob and his children. Jacob calls his sons together. And he's worried that after his death, his sons will abandon their tradition. And he was anxious about the future of his faith and what will happen when he dies. So Jacob attempts to remind them of where they came from. And he whispers to them, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, my sons, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But imagine what the Midrash concludes by saying, what it must have been like for Jacob and his sons when they in kind responded, just as you believe, so too do we. Adonai is our God. Adonai is one. Isn't that what we want to happen in our families? Isn't that what we want to pass on to our children? That they understand that, no, you know, it's easy to say, yeah, Adonai is my father's God. But we want them to say he's my God. They want it to be, we want them to be personal, personally invested in knowing who God is. So we recite the Shema, we kind of become a little bit like Jacob. We hope that our connection, of the connection of our traditions, of our belief, will link us to one another and surpass the physical boundaries of life and death. So even after we're gone, our expectation is that our children will take up the mantle and they will continue to carry on the work that we've started. And in that moment... We become as one with our own parents and grandparents. 
the generations that came before us as well as the children and grandchildren and the many generations that will come after us. And we pray that they will also say, Adonai is our God. And in those brief moments, we can become witnesses to something very unique and something much greater than we could ever begin to know. As much as we know God, as much as we know about God, we don't know everything about God. And I don't think we ever will. And each generation following us should learn more of God than even we did. They should become closer to God than even we became. That's my prayer. I would hope that that would be the prayer of every parent and grandparent. There was once a rabbi that was listening to a pastor who was talking to young people. And he was talking or talking about the young people that were leaving the church. The pastor asked the rabbi, how do you Jews manage to keep such a high percentage of your youth in the fold? The rabbi said, the difference in Judaism and Christianity is that yours is a religion of the sanctuary. Ours is a religion of the home, which is true in Judaism. It's about the home. It's about the family. The fellowship is great. Coming together is great. But what's happening back home? What's happening with your own children, with your own families? Yes, we are an extension. We are family together. What's happening with the families behind this family? That's the important thing. When we recite the Shema, we're saying more than just words. We're making a declaration of our faith. Our very lives are in the words of the Shema. Our belief in God, our understanding of God, who we are with God and in God is in the words of the Shema. And the words of our Haftarah portion are, are not just something that we read once a year either, but it's something we should do every day. Nachamu, nachamu ami. Comfort, comfort my people. That's a basic tenet as well. It's about reaching out to God's people. Now, we can put up a, this, this division and talk about Jews and Gentiles, but we become one together in Messiah. So it doesn't matter if you're speaking to your Jewish friends or your Gentile friends. We're speaking of the same Messiah, the same God. We will represent him. So I don't care if you're Jewish. I don't care if you're Gentile. He doesn't. So why should I? We should all be doing the same work and reaching out to everybody. The presence of God, who is the ultimate source of our comfort, will only become a reality with the preparations that are accomplished by us. I say us, meaning believers in Yeshua. True comfort and reconciliation will only come when we realize the significance of our love in the divine, our role rather, in the divine drama of history. It's his story. It's his drama. It's his history that's being written. I feel blessed that I'm included in that history 
I feel blessed that I can be a part of his divine drama. I pray that we will always be able to recite the words of the Shema knowing that Adonai indeed is God. In closing, Rabbi Josh Brumbach once wrote, the next time you pick up a siddur or light Shabbat candles or put on a tallit, may you be enveloped in the idea that we are not just observing something that happened in the past, we are reliving it in the here and now. Each action is an opportunity to re-engage God and to relive the events surrounding each mitzvah. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we thank you and we bless you that we have the opportunity to make a choice, to serve you or reject you. It's our prayer that you would be accepted and not rejected. It's our prayer that all would come to repentance, that all would be saved by the blood of Yeshua. But being realists, Lord, we know that it's only going to be through your Ruach HaKodesh, your Holy Spirit, that that's going to happen. Whether, if he, whether he speaks to us, through us, or directly to someone, it's only going to be by him. But we yield ourselves to you and to the Ruach to be vessels, to be used by you, to be ambassadors of your kingdom. To show your love to everyone we come in contact with. To show your faithfulness to everyone we come in contact with. To show how you are the same yesterday, today, and will be forever. Unchanging and perfect. Though we will never be perfect, Lord, we know that we serve a God that is perfect. And that as long as we follow after you, that perfection will be shown through us. And back to you as we come into contact with others. I pray that you would touch hearts and minds, even now, before we even come in contact with people, and that you would speak to their hearts and prepare them to hear the good news. Prepare them to hear of the sacrifice that Yeshua made for them. To make them understand that they are loved that they are important, and that they are the next ambassador to be put into service for your kingdom. And then give us the compassion, the understanding, to go to them in love and to proclaim Messiah Yeshua. To proclaim Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad, that you are one and there is no other. It is you alone who is God. You can never be replaced and there is no substitute. Thank you, Lord, as we go into the week, upcoming week, that you would give us divine appointments, that you would give us understanding beyond what we think we know by your Ruach, your Holy Spirit, revealing to us those things. As we study your word, bring people to our hearts and our minds that need to hear it 
and put us in contact with those people. Be with us, strengthen us and comfort us, lead us and guide us in Yeshua's name. Amen.